Hey guys, Josh here. I got to sit down with Janemann Nordhagen of Dim Bulb Games to chat about Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, an indie game that you can find on Steam for $19.99. In this interview, we'll talk about what went into the game, the process, uh, the writing, the, the soundtrack, and all that good stuff, and what inspired him as a as a gamer to make it, and uh, you know whether or not we're going to be seeing it come up on any consoles here. So without further ado, here is the interview. <laughs> I'm joined here by... Uh, I'm Janeman Nordhagen, a developer of Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Awesome, man. So I saw you at E3 last year, and you had a kind of a rough version of the game. What I, I'm just curious, like, what was the... Because I played the game, and it's a really cool game. I, I love the idea. What, what was the vision for that? Thanks, yeah. Um... It sort of started, uh, I was doing a lot of traveling uh, after Gone Home and everything like that, um, uh, the last last game I shipped, and um, I was trying to think about what I wanted to make next, and out of that kind of traveling around, uh, meeting people, hearing their stories and things like that, I decided that I wanted to try and bring that to game form. Um and so that's where the the idea of the game kind of originated. Uh, and as you said, like yeah, it was still in uh, even rougher shape uh, e- even at E three last year. Um, it it took a while to kind of find what how you make a game out of out of traveling and telling stories. Yeah, well, you did. It was interesting because like as as I'm playing it, I'm noticing that you kind of blended. Um, I guess, text-based game, a, a text-based game with kind of a, a top-down, I don't want to say adventure, but kind of a, like a top-down style game where you're just moving from place to place. Did Was that something like you knew you wanted to do all along or were you just trying different things and seeing what worked, what didn't? Uh, that was actually something that from very early on uh, I was aiming for. I was kind of trying to think like what what genres of games might lend itself well to this idea, right? Um, so, you know, Gone Home was sort of like a, a first-person shooter, except you remove the shooting and you just have this storytelling narrative sort of thing going on. And so I was thinking, like, okay, how can I do something like that except really capture this idea of traveling around, like, discovering new places, meeting cool people, stuff like that. And uh, a genre of game that I've always enjoyed was JRPGs. And, uh, you know, like the classic Final Fantasy VII, Ooh, yeah. Final Fantasy VIII, things like that. They have this, this overworld map, right, where everything is uh visible to you and you can wander around and you get this feeling of like you're crossing continents and all this sort of stuff except it's it's way out of scale it's not like realistic 3d gameplay or anything like that you're not occupying a real uh a real space and so i thought you know that that feels a lot like what i want and so what i'm going to do is is take that concept except instead of this fantasy land that you're wandering around it's going to be the united states uh and so you're going to be roaming this 3d landscape um and then originally the stories you get were like random encounter sort of things you know that would happen to you kind of like enemy attacks in in a jrpg uh and then the the 
characters were sort of like the the boss battle version of that, I guess, in in a way. And that obviously changed a lot from that original conception. But that's where a lot of those ideas came from was, you know, that kind of trying to fit that that model a little bit. I kind of like the idea, like what you had in the end product. I kind of like that better than the idea of having just random encounters with people, because when you first get put onto this map, it's huge and it's almost like overwhelming but at the same time because you know when i play video games i got like mad ocd like anytime i'm on assassin's creed game and i see like little dots on the map i gotta go check everything out with this yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a curse man uh but with this like you you get out and like i it doesn't feel like i need to go like check everything out but at the same time i i want to like i i as soon as i got done talking to the wolf guy i was out there and, uh, you know, there's buildings to the left, buildings to the right. And I saw that the path was branching off in different directions. And I wanted to explore, like, every inch of this path. But I had to pick one. And that was a really difficult decision for me. But, yeah. Wow. Yeah, first <laughs> choice in the game. Yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely um, – I think that in order to give – because part of what I also wanted was this joy of, like, exploration, right? Like, discovering new things and, and everything like that. And Because that's an interesting part of traveling. When you're traveling, like, you're doing it – to see new stuff, to things that you haven't seen before. And um, so part of that, I think, was giving people destinations and things that they could see on the horizon and say, like, oh, look, there's something. I know something interesting will happen over there. Um, I'm headed there. And the random encounter thing that we had at one point was frustrating more than anything else because you'd be trying to go someplace and then all of a sudden you'd get like something coming up and it would be like do i want to engage with this or not you know i I kind of have to it's interrupting me rather than like me choosing to to go do this thing right now um which i think is a much better model especially for for the kind of game we were trying to make i did okay so this might be a weird question but did the when you encounter these people you go to these different places you have I liked the I liked how you had it. You, they tell a story and you get to make a decision. Was any of that kind of inspired by those old uh, pick your own adventure novels from the '90s? <laughs> Not exactly that, but definitely like the tradition of uh, interactive fiction kind of games. You know, the very like heavy text based games, things like Eighty Days. I don't know if you've played that. Um, uh, Sunless Sea. Like, there's a bunch of cool games that are out right now that that kind of follow that same model, you know. And originally, when I was when I was first uh, starting the game, you know, I wanted it to be pretty easy to make, you know. Um, and doing it with text uh, helped a lot with that. Uh, text is cheap, and you can iterate on it, on it quickly, and you know, you can make really compelling stories that way. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of where that comes to, comes from. Well, I, it's cool that you made the text sort of like interactive because I'm uh, I'm playing a game right now on the Nintendo Switch called Lost Sphere, and the text just is endless on that game. So like, <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that we definitely found that you need that. Is like if you're going to be asking the player to read a bunch of stuff, you have to give them some choices through that and some interaction, like some feeling of like participating in the story, not just dumping a whole bunch of, of text in you. Otherwise it becomes like, you know, you're in Skyrim and you pick up one of those books or whatever. And it's just like, why am I sitting here reading a book in a video game? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel very good. So, yeah. But I mean, 
good for them for like crafting their own like mythology within their game. I, you know, whether or not people actually read it, that's another. Yeah, no kidding. No, I, that, that game has lore coming out of his ears. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, So back to the, uh, the, the text, uh, when the, one of the first stories I came upon was a guy on a telephone wire and you get to pick whether you want to, um, keep walking or you can take the bottle that he has on his belt that he left on the ground or something. And so I was, I don't know, like for some reason I thought that if I picked up the bottle, cause there's a bird around the guy. And I thought if I picked up the bottle, I was going to throw it at the bird, but it ended up, I was stealing his booze and he was trying to stop me and he fell off of the telephone wire. And I, that was a moment where I was like, Oh crap. So the choices you make have a legitimate outcome on the characters that the stories are about. Was that, yeah. Was that planned? Does that have like a the overarching game? Does that have a big effect on the way things end up? Uh, it doesn't really have an effect on the way things end up. Like as far as your story goes, um, it's more about the stories that you collect. Like that story changes what type it is depending on whether you do that or not, and whether it's a story about death or not, you know, and uh, if you do that and he falls and plummets to his death, then you now have a kind of creepy story to tell about this, uh, this guy, you know, this lineman, this drunken lineman that, that fell to his death. Um, and if you don't do that, you have a, a different, sadder story to tell, but yeah, that's the way that, that that works out. It's really more about the, the stories that you get out of it as a character. Yeah, it was cool. Cause I just, I was, you know, from that moment forward, I was trying to be very careful in my, my dialogue selections. So that was, that was a pretty cool aspect of the game. One thing that was, it was cool. It like stuck out to me. It kind of captured that like Romy feeling was the music. What, what can you tell me a little bit about the music and the process of, uh, you know, picking or creating it? Yeah, absolutely. So the game is very much based on music, like on American roots music, folk and bluegrass and blues and stuff like that. Um, from the very beginning, I knew that that was something that I wanted to bring in there. It's something I'm I'm interested in. I love music, and I love that that kind of music. Um, and even the title of the game, "Where the Water Tastes Like Wine," it comes from a song. It comes from a, a folk song. And um, so, bringing in that kind of music was really important. Uh, and what we did was, uh, I got a composer. Uh, his name is Ryan Ike, and um, we work together uh, to make songs that sound like they are, you know, from that, that tradition uh, without actually being, you know, those, those folk songs or whatever, but he did an amazing job. One of the coolest things about the, the music, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but as you move from place to place, you hear the same song. Uh, it's called Vagrant Song, but it changes its character depending on where you go. So like in the Northeast, it's kind of this Appalachian bluegrass version of the song in the South. It's more bluesy Uh, in the Midwest. You get this Midwestern folk and in the Southwest, it actually like it uses uh, Spanish lyrics and sort of a a Mexican American like uh, uh, beat and rhythm behind it and everything like that. And so it's, it it, it kind of tries to reflect uh, the changing culture and folk roots of each different part of America as you go through there. That's cool because a lot of people don't realize that there is like drastic change from place to place. Like you go just going into like the Midwest, everything is so much different. The dialect of the people, the things that they like, the foods like it, that's, 
that that's really cool. I like that. I'm just curious, like as a an indie developer, like when your game came out, were you anxious to see like all the reviews from the different outlets that uh, were playing the game? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's a big big thing is to see. I mean we. We spent almost four years making this game, and you know it's really terrifying. It's like you know you're you're making this thing and you're putting it out there, and you're basically telling everyone, "Hey, judge me." You know, like you you contact all these press outlets and you send them press keys, and that's all you can do. And like you're just saying, "Here's here's my baby." You know, tell me <laughs> tell me how how beautiful it is. And uh, and sometimes they think your baby's ugly, and that's really hard. You know, getting getting your stuff judged is 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 tough. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, well, it's you know, it's like any any creative project creates this level of like vulnerability in you, and it's it's hard to have someone not like it. But at the same time, you're like, oh, it's kind of decent feedback. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I mean, for the most part, it's been scoring pretty well. How, does that how does how does that feel for you? Like, I know, um, you know, it's it's. It's kind of uh, not a lot of people know about it. So it's, you know, as word gets out, I, I hope that it sells a lot more because it's a really interesting game. But I mean, for the most part, p- the feedback that I've read has been pretty positive. How do you feel about that? Yeah. And I think that um, one thing that we kind of knew we were doing from the beginning was making a game that isn't, it's very much not a traditional game. You know, like when people ask me, oh, what genre is it? Like, it's really hard to answer that question. I don't really, I don't really know, you know, Um uh, but we we hoped from the very beginning that it would be a game that would appeal to people who aren't traditional gamers either. You know, people who like their story games, who like uh, hearing stories, who like American history, you know, who like folklore and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so it's been really nice to see that, like, the mainstream press has really, really been into the game. Like, they, they love it. Like, any all the outlets that uh, reviewed it who are not... Uh, games press really like it and then the games press is sort of uh uh divided it's been really nice to see like some people love 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 the game which is amazing to see and and uh that's fantastic uh other people struggled with it a bit um you know and i think that's absolutely what we expected because it's uh again it is a weird game <laughs> it's not it's not your normal uh normal game Right. Well, I mean, even because the game you your game was on, they're they talking about on IGN and Polygon and like just having any game on those sites that scores above a five is going to get some kind of uh, interest in it. So that's, you know, the, the I guess the, the good thing about those type of websites. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really fantastic. And I'm super glad that we got all of that attention, you know, it was way more than like any indie could reasonably hope to get in this day and age. So that's, it was really gratifying to see that. And I'm, I'm super happy. And I hope that there are more conversations about the game uh, going forward too, you know, not just like the review sort of thing, but people talking about the ideas in the game and engaging with like, what is this game trying to say? What does it mean? Like what, what are these characters doing and you know, i mean one of the interesting things about the game is that like we got different people to write each of these different characters right so it's like a collection of short stories in video game form and so i think it's it i, I really want to see people look at like is this person saying something slightly different than this person even though they're talking about the same themes you know stuff like that so yeah we'll see that's that's interesting to me i i had read that you guys got a bunch of like uh i don't want to i don't know if they're indie writers or just a bunch of people who like to write to put this project together how what was that process like did you get them all in a room or did you contact them separately and kind of explain the vision were there some re revisions had to be done on some of the stories you received 
Yeah, it was definitely a very much a separate thing. Um, we, it was, uh, I don't know, kind of, kind of weird actually, but I, uh, I went around and I started asking people that I knew first and that I, that I admired their writing and stuff like that. And I was like, Hey, do you want to write for this game? And once I got a few people like that on board and they had written their characters and I was able to go to other people and ask them, you know, but each, each person wrote totally individually. Like they got to see, uh, some of the stuff that, that previous people had, uh, had written, but they didn't, they didn't talk to each other or anything like that, or at least not that I, that I know of. Um, I, I didn't prevent them from talking to each other, but you know, it wasn't like a writer's room or something like that where everyone was working together. It was very much like, I want you to write this character, you know, by, by yourself and, and whatever. And yeah, it's a really interesting collection of people. Like there's, uh, there's a few people who have never written for games before, never written anything much before who kind of just starting out in their careers and this is their first thing. And then there's, um, also some folks who are fantastic writers, but kind of outside video games. And this is their first time into video games. And then there's a, a few people who are like video games journalists, you know, who are, uh, who have written about games for a long time and are like starting to, to get into that. Like, uh, people like Lee Alexander and Kara Ellison, you know, who used to be big journalists and are now, uh, doing their own, uh, stories and, and so on. Uh, and then there's like the the actual professional AAA game writers, you know, people like uh, Jolie Menzel and uh, and Anne Toole, you know, who wrote for um, South Park and uh, The Witcher, respectively, you know. So it's like it's a whole spectrum of different kinds of writers uh, working on the game. That's cool because you can kind of like in the stories that you come across in the game are so drastically different from each other. So I thought that was a really cool element of the game, did you get any like stories that you had to throw out or you had to change at all? Um, not really. Most of the character writers did a really spectacular job uh, meeting what what happened. We had to change everything a bunch just because the game changed. So originally, like when I when I first started contacting people to to ask them to write this, the way the game played was you had a collection of tarot cards that you gathered over time, you know, by, by having things, you'd sometimes get cards from them. And, uh, when you were talking to people, what you would do is you'd play a card and you would play like, you know, the, the, the devil or something like that. And then the person that would act kind of like a question and the person would then tell you how they felt about, you know, that, that, subject um but we actually changed it to in the final game so that you're actually collecting stories and telling those instead and they fit into the same categories that the cards did but it's a very different way of of approaching it and so we had to add a bunch of stuff for that and revise it but that wasn't anyone that we had to like there wasn't anything that we had to throw out or anything like that you know um all the stories got edited of course they all got feedback and they you know were revised and and so on but it wasn't uh everyone turned in great stuff good yeah. good well i know you did have the um the tarot cards in the beginning right where you're, you're picking uh you're telling the the wolf guy stories and you're kind of picking like what type of story it was going to be and he's telling you all these things it could be a story about death or a story about uh luck or whatever so that you know the was that did you like the idea and you just wanted to kind of keep it in there yeah, it's a really good uh, categorization idea, I think, is like because tarot cards, they have meaning, but it's sort of an amorphous meaning, right? Like, you know, the the you get the tower card and it can mean like 
death and destruction and stuff like that. It can also mean like upheaval or sudden change, you know, extreme change. Uh, it can mean uh, all sorts of things around that. And they all, they're all similar, but there, there's a range of meaning there. And so if you have a story and it's a story about death, you can file it under there. But if it's a story about like big upheaval of some kind, like uh, a civil war or, you know, uh, someone even just changing their mind, you know, extremely or, or things like that. You can also put that under there. So it's a really good device for, for categorizing stories, which don't often fit into, you know, nice, neat little boxes. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about video games is that it's such a unique medium for storytelling, but then you also kind of mixed in, uh, you know, those, those types of elements as well as uh, different stories from different people. So you kind of like hit the storytelling nail right on the head there. Thanks. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so you were talking about the development process a little bit ago. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so uh, it started basically, I mean, it was, it was just me. I uh, began the game and I, I sort of started with an idea of what I wanted to do and and some ideas of how it might happen. And I tried some different prototypes for things. The thing that I was really interested in to start with was like, how do you capture telling a story in a game, right? Like the act of sitting around telling stories, like how do you do that? And I came up with a few different ideas for that. Um, and none of them really worked out very well for this game. Like they might've worked out for other games. Um, the one that got the furthest along was sort of like a, Mad Libs style prototype where you'd you'd have adventures and meet people and hear stories and you, those would go into sort of like story component pieces you know uh, and and then when you were telling a story if you needed like an adjective or something all the adjectives that you had would be like swirling around there and you'd have to choose one within a certain amount of time and so you sort of like build this story in real time about like what had been happening to you and if you waited too long to fill in a word you'd start saying like um uh things like that and people would like the story less because you were doing it so less like, well like time it mad really, libs. it was actually really cool and i'd like to pursue that idea a little bit more later but what it ended up with is just like mad libs like it ends up with sort of like very goofy sounding stories in the end right you, you you just fit in like random things into the slot and the story turns out being like you know i i don't know i saw a purple hot dog flying in <laughs> utah you know sort of thing and like that works for some things but it didn't work for this game that's supposed to be like sad and deep and you know like raise questions about america and things like that and and that sort of goofy model didn't work so what i eventually did was was sort of just go back to this idea that the storytelling isn't the important part the gathering stories and the spreading of stories is the important part so the act of telling you know sort of just happens uh but the 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 collecting and everything is the important part um, but anyway, going back to development, sorry, got on a little <laughs> bit of a tangent there. No worries, but, uh, man. Uh, the first person that I uh, brought on to help was uh, Kellen Jett, who's the illustrator who kind of like defined the style for the game. So all the the way the characters look, all the, um, you know, the, the sort of very strong black line art, that's all his, his style. And um, he really did a fantastic job defining that. Uh, and then I started contacting writers and uh, getting them to write stories. I started. I reached out to Ryan, the composer, and got him on board to write music. Uh, and it kind of all just snowballed from there and grew into this 
this big, big project that was bigger than I intended it to be when I started. Um, uh, and eventually we, uh, we decided that we'd been getting a lot of feedback that we really wanted, the people really wanted, um, voice acting in the game that they thought that would, that would really sell it, you know? Um, and, uh, we couldn't afford to do that on our own. So I started reaching out to publishers and eventually signed a deal with, uh, Good Shepherd who published the game and, uh, they got voice acting to happen. They did, uh, QA, um, localization, all this great sort of behind the scenes stuff that you need to have a, have a game work out. The, uh, the preliminary stages before you found a publisher, was it, did you pay for it out of your own money or did you do any crowdfunding for it? How did, how did that? No, it was down? just all self-funded. Yep. I just paid for it out of my own, my, my own pocket. Brave man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, it, it, like I said, man, in the end, the, uh, the, the product looks really good. So that's, yeah. I think it turned out really well. I'm I'm very very proud of the game. It's a it's a fantastic achievement. So, so I I, I just um, real quick want to ask you about the marketing of the game itself because I know uh, you're probably up to up to speed on all like the the indie games coming out. Uh, you know whether on Steam, Nintendo Switch, Xbox, PlayStation. There's a lot of indie games. There's uh, someone was saying there's like 18 indie games being released a week on the Switch. What what was the marketing like for your game? How did you get it noticed by people or, or get the, the hype train rolling on that? Yeah, so we were really lucky in that um, we started very early on. We started to get noticed by the press and by um, sort of shows and awards people and things like that. Um, so we actually premiered the before we even really knew exactly what the game was except that it was about telling stories and these different characters and everything like that we uh we did a we were asked to do a premiere trailer at the game awards uh in 20, 2015 i think is when that actually ended up happening i think we were asked in 2014 and we we didn't have it ready but um uh so you know, we got to show off this awesome teaser trailer of, you know, just show the what the game might feel like, like not what it plays like or anything like that, but just sort of an idea of like, this is weird, mysterious Americana. We've got the we've got trains, we've got uh, different landscapes, we've got the tarot cards in there. We have this magical transformation thing happening. So we were able to do all that very early on uh, stuff like the Games Awards. We got covered by press out of that and previously um and then we started getting up for we got invited to shows we got up for various awards you know we went to uh day of the devs and south by southwest and uh e3 where where we met uh uh indicade uh we got a igf nomination you know like we got all this sort of uh critical attention and that really helps boost the profile of a game because you know you get to start seeing it all over the place in press and, and everything. Uh, one other thing that we did, um, which was, uh, came from the publisher, Good Shepherd, um, is we, when we started doing voice acting, uh, we actually somehow got, uh, the musician sting to, uh, voice act the game for us. So he's, uh, he plays the wolf character and he's in there doing that. And that's sort of a, 
like that, obviously, when we when we announced that, that was a really big deal. A lot of press covered that because how could you not? It's a very weird thing that a little indie game somehow gets Sting, who's never <laughs> been in a video game before, to like act in in their game. It's a it's a weird, interesting thing. So that was uh, that was part of the marketing as well. Um, and uh, and then other than that, you know, we did a bunch of like just traditional marketing. Uh, sort of uh, advertisements and PR placement stuff and, you know, getting into streamers and YouTubers and, and stuff like that. So, you know, all the, all the things that every game does. Uh, Did you actually get to meet Sting? I didn't, you know, it was, it was sad. What he was, uh, he was actually heading out on tour uh, when we needed the audio done. And so he recorded it, I believe, in Italy. Like he was in Italy at the time, and I sent him the lines, the script, and he did a recording there and sent it back. And we, you know, sent him some notes, and he did pickup lines. And so it was. I never got to meet him face to face, unfortunately, which would have been a lot of fun. But it's fun because that his um, was his song "Desert Rose." That that music video is like all about traveling across the country too. It's just interesting. yeah, totally. It's a, it's a good fit, I guess. I don't know. He's, uh, he's British, so it's a little weird that he's in this game that's all about America. But you know, it works. He sounds uh, appropriately sinister for the wolf. I think. Oh, it was very menacing. I had no idea that was Sting. That's awesome. Yeah, really cool. The okay, so. You you were talking about Final Fantasy earlier. What what are some of the games that you like to play? Like, what's your what's your gaming background? Yeah, um, hmm. so I really like uh, big, complicated, systemic games, especially like uh, Dwarf Fortress. I don't know if you know Dwarf Fortress or not, but it's a weird game about managing a fortress full of dwarves. It's all uh, ASCII, like it's not. It's all just like the dwarves are represented by like little letters or maybe little graphics. If you have a patch installed or whatever sort of thing, uh, running around, it is like graphically the most simple game you'll ever see, but it will bring your computer to its knees because it simulates all of this stuff down to the, I don't know, every level, like all the dwarves (laughs) have their own thoughts and opinions and emotions driving them. And it models like, if uh, if something attacks a dwarf or whatever, it hits them with a sword. Like it figures out like if it hits them on the left arm, like does it just injure their skin or does it go through and injure their flesh or does it like break the bone? Does it cut off the arm? Like it simulates all this stuff for you know hundreds of dwarves happening all at the same time, uh, how hungry they are, what kind of food they like to eat, what they dream about at night, what kind of art they make, like all this sort of stuff is all, is all simulated. And so it's, uh, a really ridiculously complicated game, uh, to play. And it's a lot of fun. Um, that sort of thing I like, uh, I also like, uh, I've been playing a lot of, uh, breath of the wild right now. Um, I love big open world games like that. I mean, we talked about, Skyrim earlier. I love uh, the whole Elder Scrolls series. I've been, you know, I loved Morrowind back in the day, and you know, played everything since then. Um, Do you play any on the Elder Scrolls Online at all? No, I never did. You know, I the only MMOs I ever played were um, I played a lot of uh, Final Fantasy XI. Oh, that was that was good, man. Yeah, I remember that. So, yeah, and. Uh, uh, there was there was one other one. What else did I play? I played another MMO. What the heck was it? God, I don't remember. But anyway, yeah, I after the experience of uh, having to I, I don't know give 
you have to give up a lot of your life to play an MMO in any sort of serious way. And so I, I was not as into that. I like single player games where I can, you know, kind of, uh, take it at my own pace. All I do play, I like to play things like, uh, uh, PUBG also and things like that, you know, online, online shooters are fun, competitive stuff. Have you gotten into the, uh, the mobile games at all of the PUBG or uh, Fortnite? No, I haven't. I haven't even tried them. Like I have a iPhone 5S, so I'm like a little behind the curve in terms of phone stuff. And I don't. I, I it probably would run on that, but I have no idea. I haven't tried it. It's not. I don't game on my phone a whole lot. I don't. Yeah. It's. I, just, it's, I like my computer. It's my tough. <laughs> phone games, man. Not a huge fan, but. Yeah. Um, speaking of consoles, so any plans to release? Uh, you probably get this question a lot. Any plans on releasing your game to Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, maybe? Yeah. So we've definitely like uh, uh, my background is kind of in console game development. And so consoles were on the radar from the moment we began development of this game basically and you know like it's developed with a controller scheme in mind uh and everything like that so uh it's definitely like in the list of plans it's a uh, sort of a um uh just getting the logistics of it worked out is a little tricky so i don't have any dates or timelines or anything like that but um it's definitely something that we are eager to do yeah, because I was thinking when I was playing it that it would look good and it would be fun on a Nintendo Switch because it's kind of like a book. You take a book with you wherever you go, pick up the Nintendo Switch, and you just kind of play this uh, great American novel out on the yeah, console. Yeah, I think it would be a really great switch fit for the Switch as well because, yeah, you can kind of uh, – it's a kind of game where you can pick it up and uh, put it down whenever you want, you know, and uh, there's a lot of – it's not an action sort of game, so you don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. Um, it, I think it would work really well for for the Switch's yeah. whole thing. And it's well, and you know, it's not an action game, but it's still a game that's like it's very like I don't know if I want to say calming, but it's like there's a you don't feel stressed out when playing it. So that's yeah. one yeah. of my favorite aspects of it. All right, um, before we, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we. We have a lot of listeners who are this, you know, this kind of a thing that we do. We have a lot of listeners who are into like game development. So would you have any uh, tips or advice for any of those people trying to get into that? Uh, yeah. So normally what I tell, so I come from a programming background and what I tell people, uh, to start out with when they're making their first games is to like copy something else, make something super, super simple, uh, make your version of Breakout or Asteroids or Space Invaders or something like that, like make something really, really simple. I've I made Pong uh, actually a couple times uh, in different in different things because it's a lot harder than you think to just make something like that. And once you have that, you can start doing exciting things with it, right? But the a big mistake that I see a lot of people make when they start to make their first games is they're like, and I did this too, honestly, was like oh, you know, I want to make a, a giant MMO. You know, this is this is my idea. I've got this idea for, you know, 120 hours of amazing content and it's going to be this fantasy RPG and, you know, all this whatever. And, like, you're just biting off way too much because finishing even, like, Pong is going to be really challenging and it's going to teach you a lot. And once you do that, you can, you know, move on to other stuff. But, like, start small, 
keep things within what you can do and, and just build from there. Basically is what I would tell everybody. It's funny that now you see now that, uh, you know, indie game, like creating them is a lot more accessible than it was before. You see a lot of people who do have these grand plans, like, yeah, we're going to make an RPG. It's going to be like elder scrolls, but better. But then you like, you sit down and you're like, okay, well now I understand why they have hundreds of people and it takes 10 years for a game to come out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right, cool, man. Well, thanks a lot for uh, sitting down and chatting with me about the game. Do you want to uh, do you want to plug it at all before we go? Um, just yeah, tell people they can look at it at uh, where the water tastes like wine dot com or find us on Steam uh, and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool, man. Well, you know it's it's been a pleasure. Thanks for uh, taking the time to. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We'll. Uh, all right, guys. Well, you will be able to find this uh, interview on. Uh, iTunes, podcast.com, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and all of your usual podcasting outlets. Um, Until next time. Mm, Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. Topicocalypse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD3, that's P-O-D and the number 3 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com.